You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, who provide innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and its sister site, the EV-focused TheDriven.io and One Step Off The Grid. And joining me, as he does every fortnight, is Solar Analytics man and... You never Nigel Morris. Get, let me get my let me get your name out, Nigel. <laughs> Before you burst into laughter. Oh dear. <laughs> well maybe it's not wonderful to be here again, Giles. It's wonderful to be here again uh, with you. You're never getting rid of me. Um, when can we talk about electric motorbikes? Well, we can we can talk about it right now. In fact, that was going to be my first question. Do we do, do we hop into the record installs of Solar PV or do we actually tell everyone that you have oh. now got your, you've now lined up your date for your test drive on the Harley Davidson electric motorbike. Now, um, I've heard I've got my leave application in with the boss. I already set it all up. Well, consider that I'm gone for the day, mate. Is that okay? Yeah, he was very good about it. He said, "Of course you're going. Of course you're." Already oh, got that invitation only came. I've got in. a good boss. That, that that invitation only came in half an hour ago, so, Nigel. You do work very quickly. I'm I'm impressed. It must be the lunch at um <laughs> lunch somewhere down in Cronulla, I suppose. Now look. Nigel, you do have to tell the listeners, I mean, we all know what normal Harley-Davidson sounds like. What do you think an electric Harley-Davidson sounds like? Well, I, I, I know what they sound like. I've Only from recordings I've heard. I haven't seen one firsthand yet. Uh, there have been some in Australia, the early prototypes that they dragged around the world in a big uh, sort of around the world consumer test. Cripes, four years ago, five years really? ago. Um, I didn't get to see them then. Yes, they did. They, they took them on the road around the world, mate, and got lots of Harley owners to test ride them. Took all that feedback took it to production and and here they are so i'm i'm blessed to get to ride to pr- the production version but i've watched a lot of um youtube videos and and other digital content uh and seen lots of reviews and i just can't wait i'm really lo- looking forward to it. now you haven't answered the question though i mean is, is it like a whirring noise or is it just pure silence no, it's not pure silence. Like any electric motorcycle, there's always some drivetrain noise. At the minimum, you're going to hear tyre noise, right? Yeah. Um, and you're going to have a belt or a chain. Um, the Harley has a big belt like the Zero that I own, um, but it's a much bigger belt. And they've also they've also um, got a really interesting engine mounting configuration and have built in some drivetrain noise to give it a a tone uh and tone is such a delightful thing you know uh anyone who you know appreciates the sound of a a maserati v12 or a ferrari or or a v-twin motorcycle you know or or whatever you know there's a lovely note that you can build into these things and harley worked really really hard on that in fact i saw something about yamaha's electric motorcycle project the other day and they're working incredibly hard on that same thing getting the sound right so that it it feels good and zero the zero has a sound it has an electronic sound and it has a drivetrain sound so i expect similar from the harley but i expect actually more finesse uh more focus on what it actually sounds like i don't really care what it sounds like giles it'll be 
90% quieter than an internal combustion engine bike, which is what I love. I, I, I love that about them. Um, it makes the riding experience less cluttered. Uh, I've got no gearbox to worry about. I've got no clutch to worry about. I just open the throttle and gas it. Well, it's not gas. It's <laughs> you're gonna have to think of a you're gonna have to think of another name. Electronic. For that. <laughs> I have to just electronic. Yeah. Spark it up. Spark it, Charlie. Spark it. Yeah. That's it. Spark it up. I like it. That's more like it. So yeah. Suffice to say, um, there'll be a bit of noise, but it's more. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I, I I did ask, as you saw, I think in my reply, if I could take my microphone kit. So I'm hoping to do a few interviews and I'll record the bike. I'll record the sound of the bike for your podcast. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. Well, look, that sounds pretty exciting, Nigel. But look, just on the outside chance that some of the listeners are not all members of the Harley Davidson <laughs> Electric Motorcycle <laughs> Appreciation Club, um, we better get back to the topic in hand, which is solar. And um, We certainly should. We certainly should. There's lots to talk about, actually. Well, there is lots to talk about. We've got a special interview coming up, too, with uh, Chris McGrath from 5B. Um, but first of all, we should just mention, um, I mean, what an industry. Uh we broke records just a couple of months ago, um, and despite everything with COVID, or maybe even because of everything, including COVID, we've hit a new record, 270 megawatts, three states hit new monthly records, um, quite an extraordinary situation. Yeah. Extraordinary, extraordinary. It's it's you know it's just entirely impossible to pick what's going to happen next. Really, um, you know you can throw a, throw throw caution at the wind and take a punt at you know where we're going to be uh, next month or the month after, as we as everyone is, has been doing for the last six months since you know almost since this began. So um, yeah, it's extremely it's 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 fantastic that uh, the market is alive and well. On the other side, there are a lot of challenges for the market as well. And, you know, on the flip side of, of this incredible spurt in growth, you know, we're about to see Victoria has shut down and um, there are chances that other states could be, you know, cobbled in some ways as well. So, you know, it's not called the solar coaster for nothing, Giles. What do we know about the solar industry in Victoria with the, um, with the COVID shutdown in Victoria? Are they being allowed to do anything or, they, or, or have they um, been, been told to stay indoors? Uh, essentially nothing um it's it, it's it's not nothing but um you know to quote them solar systems including new solar pv solar batteries and solar hot water systems cannot be installed on occupied residential properties under stage four restrictions right so that's pretty black and white and um there are some exceptions for existing construction sites where there are where there are no residents and you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations and of course you've got to have very very strict covid um uh, plans in place and all sorts of things so you know the industry is rife with cripes how do we do this if at all um it's a little bit uh, it's flowing still in some of the rural and regional areas, but even there, everyone's obviously, you know, crapping their pants, I think, mm. is the technical term. It, it's it's, um, it's, yeah, it's not good. It, no, it's a very technical term. But look, on that point, I mean, we do know how that um, people are um, having it tough, not just because why they're either directing the solar industry, they're directly impacted by this sort of shutdown, or they're just sort of dealing with the sort of shutdowns in general. And um, we got a lot of really yes. good feedback, Nigel, from that interview that you did with Hugh on last week in the last episode. And um, if you haven't already listened to it, and um, I'd... I'd um, I'd um, I'd recommend people um, listen to that. Some people describe it as the best episode ever. 
Um, and, no way, well, really? Yeah, absolutely. No, some some really good feedback from 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 that, and I think people really appreciate that um, Huon um, opening his heart about you know um, he's um, he's uh, dealing with the um, the COVID um, issues and um, since the way that you handled it as the interviewer, Nigel. So well done. So um, and I can hear Excellent. you. I can hear your dog. Excellent. Your dog. I hope the list agreement. <laughs> I, I am. Oh, Jesus. and the phone's going off as well. It's, it's all happening. The phone's going off. The dog, the dog's above me, uh, barking his head off because I think one of the kids is coming up the steps. And uh, my wife's trying to ring me. Uh, I think she's arrived with the shopping and wants her hand up the hill. Uh, so I apologise for all the uh, all the background clatter. But let's get back to solar. I think we're just going to take a break and hear a message from our sponsors. Planergy is an Australian-founded enterprise providing innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Clenergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high-quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products and solutions for residential, commercial and utility-scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application. And we'd like to thank all three of our sponsors to this podcast, Clenergy, Sunwids and Solar Analytics, without um, whom, well, we could probably do it, but it'll be a bit of a struggle anyway. So, Nigel, um, thanks for all those supporters. <laughs> I'm not buying the T-shirts. <laughs> I'm not buying the T-shirts. We need the sponsors, mate. Careful. We, absolutely. We, we we do love the sponsors, and we look, we know they get a kick out of it. We do. Good feedback. We and, do. Um, it's good for them. So, look, come... Look, while we're while we're in sort of sort of okay. flipping, you know, handling the ball, let's go to the interview that I did with uh, Christmas Graf from Five B. Look, Five B are just one of those delightful companies in Australia. They're innovative. They've developed new technology around the solar installations. Uh, they've been involved with uh, love like, these guys solved solved a tricky problem in a, in a really clever way, you know. And and you look around the world, and there is there's not heaps of examples of people doing what they're doing. You know, they're doing it really really well, and they're right here in Sydney. It's unreal. And hence the interest that has come from one of the biggest um, energy companies in the world, um, AES. So anyway, let's hear from Chris McGrath from Five B. Chris McGrath, co-founder and CEO of 5B. Thanks for joining the Solar Insiders podcast. Pleasure to join. Thank you. Well, it has been quite a 12 months for 5B. Um, You've been listed as the preferred supplier for the world's biggest solar farm. Um, You've just announced an investment round which includes most prominently um, one of the world's biggest energy companies and you're also lined up for a um, a major award for your innovation in Australia. Um, Congratulations. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Why don't you just take us right back to the beginning? Um, Now 5B for those people who don't know is about technology. It's a company that does rapidly deployable and importantly redeployable solar so you can roll out your solar installation really quickly and then you can actually just pack it all up and move it somewhere else um are those two biggest attributes i'm sure there's more but um just tell us a little bit about that and how it came to pass and how it is that you um a couple of young blokes got together and decided that this was a really good idea and you're going to do it (laughs) i think that's an awesome place to start um bring us back down to to the ground and the, and the grassroots that we started from. Um, it, yeah, ultimately 5B started from a, from a very simple, I guess, observation and, and idea 
in the market, which was how do we make solar farms easier, faster, and lower cost to deliver. Uh, and we saw the um, the construction project by project, um, bespoke engineered, built in situ kind of approach, n- not really matching or leveraging or respecting the um, inherent simplicity and elegance in a, in a solar panel, in solar PV, which is a solid state device that without any moving parts converts an infinite amount of solar energy and falling on the earth into electricity. Um, and, and that's kind of our, I guess, our guiding drive and motivation and, and principle behind um, what we've done and why um, and also where, where we intend to take that into the future. But basically what you do is you sort of prefabricate arrays. You sort of put them into, um, I don't know how big the, the, the various arrays are. You put them on the back of the truck and you sort of drive them out there and, and, and roll them all out. That's right, yeah. I mean, simplistically, some people would um, describe us as a, as a racking structure provider. Um, in a yep. more complex and nuanced way, we extend um, beyond that into, into process optimization and, and management um, and also solutions. So essentially taking that prefabricated solar farm that can be built in a factory to reduce time, cost and risk on site um, and integrating that into a solar farm in a box style offering for, for customers of ours through, through our channel partners. Um, we also operate under an ecosystem model. So we use um, a, a whole series of, of partners and, and a growing ecosystem of partners to deliver those solutions. Um, so IXL mm. Solar, for example, is our assembly partner in, in Adelaide for the Australian market. Um, and we work with a series of different deployment partners to, to deliver those projects as well. Mm, that's a pretty cool story in itself because IXL, of course, used to be um, focused mainly on the auto parts um, manufacturing industry, and um, when that went belly up, it's now sort of turned its hand to renewables, which is um, which is great news. So, um, congratulations! It's really, on, um, yeah, it's really it's really nice to see. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful story. The kind of re retooling and retraining the automotive industry of the past in Australia to to building the clean energy future for the country. Um, and, and in a literal and practical sense, they're really good at what they do as well, and they bring a lot of manufacturing expertise um, to to contribute and complement um, our technology innovation, which really is why we why we use and, and are building out the ecosystem model to really complement um, what we do, which is technology innovation and, and bleeding edge um, style stuff in terms of what we're seeing in the market and how we can improve it, but then kind of turbocharging and, and supporting that through established capability in the industry that's really good at doing what they do and complementing that. Mm. Look, I mean, you guys have deployed at several different levels and I'd like to go through them sort of sequentially. Now, the first one is um, just sort of um, of smaller, sort of really distributed solar um, energy installations. And I guess one thing that captured the imagination just recently was after the bushfires and you guys got together with um, Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian and set up this um, program called Resilient Energy, which is a fantastic mm. idea. And essentially the idea was just to bring readily and quickly deployable solar along with a battery to provide power to people who had none, obvious reasons. So tell me how you're sort of, um, how that lends to, mm. um, how that lends to that sort of deployment. Um, you know, I mean, how much can you roll out and how quickly? Mm, it's it's a great question. I mean, I think when you look at the resilient energy project um, to through to our kind of more core market, which is CNI and small utility scale projects in Australia, um, through to Sun Cable, which is the largest solar farm proposed in the world, there's obviously a massive spectrum of different applications that that, that we believe that we can address and are addressing with our technology. Um, what underpins that 
is commonality in the actual technology innovation and the process itself, which once again enables us to take what's otherwise done on site and otherwise done in a in a project by project sense and move that to a factory and then and by doing so um, or, or to do so productize and then allow aggregation and economies of scale behind that. So really like another way we describe what we do is kind of converting a project experience into a product experience, a product plus deployment experience. And then that that can um, be kind of applied to lots of different market segments or product applications. So uh, we build everything or, or deliver in partnership with our ecosystem um, solutions for anything from tens of kilowatts in very remote um, properties, you know, such as the bushfire um, affected communities, right through to, to large central um, solar farms. Um, and, and I guess the underpinning um, parts there are the core parts of our value proposition, which is simpler, faster, smarter, and, and therefore that translates to lower cost, faster, less risk, quicker and easier to get and to deliver. And then there's a few um, kind of value-adds or additional parts of our value proposition that, that come out in different applications. So, for example, it can also be redeployable. doesn't mean it's more expensive. It just means you can pick it up and move it if you want to. It doesn't penetrate the ground very much, so it's really good on, on high um, or ge- high geotech risk sites, rocky sites or subsiding soils, for example. Um, it's also very land dense, so it's very good on a high energy density. It's, so it's very good on um, sites that are um, that are more constrained for land, such as like in around industrial areas or or environmentally constrained sites, for example. Mm. So there's a real spread, but there's a very common element behind that all as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess though that um, you're not going to have sort of sheep grazing in between the um, rows of panels as you see in, um, in in some nice glossy photos. That's not the that's not the it's idea. Kind here. Of, it, it's kind of the opposite of, of our approach and our discipline, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we like, like really we sit into um, into an interesting new market trend, which we believe is the, the way of the future, which is around high energy density solar farms. Um, Belectric and their um, east west peg solution is another example of that. Um, they do a a similar thing in in very different ways um, to achieve some similar outcomes in terms of the built result, which is solar farms like an east-west configuration um, produces somewhere between 150 and 200% more energy per hectare than fixed tilt or single axis trucking, um, Hmm. which also means then not only using less land, if land's constrained, but you're also using less cables, you've got less less site to manage, less fences, um, less civil preparation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to the. Um, you've, you've been um, named as a finalist in uh, the Clean Energy Council Awards, and this is for a particular project and a mining one. And it's a fascinating one too, because one of the problems with miners is basically that most people who decide to build a mine somewhere usually expect to la- it to last, you know, a certain period five, ten, fifteen years. Sometimes, sometimes it can be actually smaller because they see a deposit, they think th- they can extract it quickly. That doesn't lend for sort of um, twenty-year PPAs or twenty-five-year PPAs, which is usually the basis of sort of solar deployment, but you've come up with a different proposition for them. Mm, flexible solar solutions uh, un- unlocked <laughs> by, by the Maverick. Yeah, so, th- I mean, the, the problem that we're trying to solve in that space, and I guess this is another another permutation or another application of our, of our underlying common technology, the Maverick solution, is that because the Maverick solution is inherently redeployable um, in, in the way that it's constructed, and that really just comes about because 
it's rapidly deployable. And then back to the question around our origin story, in one of our first prototypes, we needed to pack it up at the end of the day and take it home because we didn't own the site that we were using to practice. And on the way home, we realized, wow, that's redeployable. So we've achieved um, what we kind of describe as native free deployable. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> I, like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, how all great innovations come. Oh, we've just done something. Oh, let's That's do right. it again. And, <laughs> and we genuinely can't claim credit for intending for it to be a redeployable solution. Um, and, and hence why we describe it as a natively deployable solution. Uh, sorry, natively redeployable solution. And, and the reason we explain that is because a lot of redeployable solutions um, in the market or that have been in the market have really targeted the redeployability as a, as a core feature and essentially have engineered in complexity to the system and cost to achieve that redeployability. Whereas for us, it came as an afterthought or a byproduct. Um, and because we, we um, basically started with a clean sheet of paper, redesigned the way that we saw a solar farm being deployed for where market trends are today and into the future, which is that solar panels are getting cheaper and cheaper and that implies that the challenge becomes how do you get the solar module from the factory in the in the point of manufacture to the site, wherever it is around the world, in the lowest cost, fastest way. Um, and the way that we did that was through prefabrication and productization of most of the work in the factory and rapid deployment. And rapid deployment also then means you can do rapid redeployment. So the mm. the flexible solar solution approach is basically to take that underlying capability and couple it with um, a, a, a feature or an offering through finance solutions, which enables short-term flexible um, solar financing or solar leasing. You can give it any number of names. Um, it's not a new idea. It's been done or it's been tried to be to be done in the market previously. Um, but I guess the big difference that we're bringing to it is that the fun, the underlying technical solution underneath it is so low cost and so fast and so easy to use that it, it actually will make it successful. So really the outcome we're trying to achieve is to be producing lowest cost energy possible for these these mine sites or short-term applications um, without the long-term capital commitment or the long-term um, contract or lease mm. or, or OPEX commitment. So we're getting down to a, mm. to a commitment period of somewhere in the order of kind of three to five years. And we can do that at a at a price of the energy output from that from that offering that that's super competitive um, that that's you know a, a big chunk lower than the underlying diesel or gas price on those projects. Mm, that's great. Now, uh, one project which I imagine will not be readily de- redeployable <laughs> is the ten gigawatt um, Sun Cable project. Now, this um, just to remind listeners is um, the, what would be the world's biggest um, um, solar project, ten gigawatts in the Northern Territory, possibly accompanied by up to thirty gigawatt hours of battery storage, ostensibly to supply Singapore via a subsea cable of you know almost four thousand kilometres long, um, massive batteries at either end of the cable, possibly some power going to local manufacturing in Northern Territory or even some people who want to make do some do something with hydrogen I mean it's an, it, it's a project of such stunning scale that we don't actually know whether the numbers will ever land up and and and, and uh, line up sorry and, and actually make it happen um, we pray that it does because it'd just be fascinating to see but um, <laughs> how will you manage to you've been you've been named as the preferred supplier for 10 gigawatts of um, 10, 10 gigawatts of, um, of of solar and um, you guys get pretty excited by just one or two megawatts of deployment at the moment. But 
<laughs> That's true. Yeah, the, I mean, the small megawatts are becoming less exciting, but um, but it, it's absolutely true. It's a it's a massive scale up from where we are now. We've got ten megawatts on the ground, and and we've got about thirty megawatts total um, on the ground and, and in production, um, to delivering ten gigawatts um, within a few years' time. Um, I, I think what's I guess I'd say two things. Firstly, one is that um, the the ecosystem model that we've developed has always been geared around us doing um, bringing our unique angle and our uni- unique technology to the to the space, and then coupling that with established, recognised, reputable industry capability and experience, either in the solar space or or more broadly, and and helping to reorientate or recalibrate that to simply a better way to build a solar farm. Um, so what that means for Sun Cable is that, um, to, to put it simply, we won't do a lot of heavy lifting for the project. We're not building industry capability or industrial capability to build a 10 gigawatt solar farm. We're helping to, to enable Sun Cable as a very special customer of ours um, to, to deliver that through partners of theirs. Um, so using standard modules from any number of solar module providers, a few special bits that we enable manufacturing partners to, to supply. Um, and then a series of different kind of contracting or delivery partners um, that we then train and, and enable through tools and software and, and our platform um, to to roll the thing out in record time and in record speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think really, you know, when when we look at Sun Cable as a customer and say, well, why did they choose us? Um, it's a it's an interesting question because obviously there's a um, there's a, um, a a big challenge for us to be scaling up from where we are today to be delivering that. But when you look at the, the fundamentals of the challenges in their project from a solar-specific perspective, um, the, the scale of the project and the remoteness of it really is something that I think can only sanely be approached from a prefabricated, productized, um, centralized, prefab plus rapid deployment kind of mentality. And we would assert that we're the only ones in the world that are doing that successfully currently and, and probably will be for a period of time. Um, so really it's a, like, it's not to say that we enable the project. I'm sure that they could build it other ways, but it, it is a very logical conclusion to come to that that is the best way to build a project of that scale in that kind of remote location. Well, just show some of the lateral thinking that's going on in there. Um, I mean, you know, just simply to have the audacity to sort of think of that whole project as, 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 um, even remotely possible is, is extraordinary in the first place. So um, yeah. I'm going to take that yeah. sort of thinking it's a good to actually pull point. it off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, may I suggest some electric... And from a customer... You're going to have some electric trucks to, to, gonna... to deliver it? <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, that would be part of part of our vision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as a, when we look at Sun Cable as a customer, I mean, to your point, they are inherently innovative and audacious in terms of what they're trying to achieve. And they're also looking at the problem and the challenges of the delivery of that project from a from an untainted and from a from a real fundamental or first principles kind of perspective, which really aligns with the approach that we've taken to our part of that problem space and how we're trying to solve it. Um, so so they it, it really resonates, I guess, with their style of thinking, which is necessary to to pull off such an outrageous project. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And when do you expect to hear uh, about the go-ahead? I just well, I suppose it's going to be in, in the next couple of years before all the um, um, it's considered feasible and then you get all the approvals in and then you've got to get the finance and stuff like that. So um, although that's probably somebody else's yeah, problem. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're, we're constraining our challenge to, to the part that, that, that we do best. Um, the um, Sun Cable have obviously got their own 
timeline for, for that project of, of which they're a customer to us. Um, so we'll eagerly await the order. Um, simplistically, behind the scenes, there'll be a lot happening between now and then um, and, and a number of kind of important stepping stones and milestones and demonstrations and and design, feasibility, logistics, planning, um, et cetera, et cetera, kind of work um, mm. being undertaken to both to be ready to do that and also to demonstrate to all the various stakeholders in in that project that um, that, that we and Suncable will be um, will be ready to deploy that in in a beautiful, streamlined, low risk, fast, lowest cost way. Fantastic. And let's get on to the last part of the equation. Just recently, you did a new investment round and you brought in AES, which is one of the biggest um, energy companies. It's a US company. It's one of the biggest energy companies in the world. It's got something like 35 gigawatts, which is not quite, but you know, getting close to the size mm. of um, Australia's grid um, <laughs> under, uh, under management. It's got tens of billions of dollars in revenue and uh, probably makes an absolute packet as well. Um, and they've bought into your company. Why? Mm. Uh, from our perspective, that's probably a good a, a good um, explanation of another keystone that that we needed and now have to to scale the business and to validate our approach to to be able to build the likes of of Sun Cable projects. Um, from AES's perspective, they have approached the the challenge that or the problem that we're solving from a different perspective. They as a as a solar um, as a large solar customer and a large developer and owner operator of solar farms around the world um, wanted to find a simpler, faster, lower risk, um, value-added way to do that for their customers. Um, And they were traversing the world and it was actually the Sun Cable announcement that came out towards the the end of last year that that alerted them to, to us and what we were doing and um, and and uh, in a match made from heaven, they found us, which is kind of unusual from a from an investor investee kind of story. Um, you know, we also door knocked, you know, cl- probably close to a, to a hundred a hundred different potential investors, as you do when you're trying to raise money as a small growing business. Um, but we had a really deep resonation with AES right from the original conversation, and they can see both what we're doing today with our technology, or what we know we can do, and what we've shown them we can do over the coming few years, but also a, a much deeper alignment in terms of strategically how we see the industry evolving and how we can help it evolve and contri- contribute to making um, the outcomes from that better for the customer and, and better for their business mm. um, and, and also for them, their ability to contribute to that. So AES have, have investments in participation in Fluence, which is um, the world's largest grid-scale energy storage business. And also Uplight, which is the um, the US's largest digital energy management platform for consumers. They've got um, 100 million customers out of 200 energy meters in the US or something like that. Um, so AES are strategically investing in, in these businesses that form kind of key pillars in their technology suite um, to be able to help um, get access to their underlying technologies for AES's customers but also knowing that they're businesses that AES can really contribute to in terms of both being a customer and also investor and also a strategic partner. Mm. So it's a really well-rounded collaboration. It's more than we ever could have um, hoped for or, or, or actually planned for out of our Series A. Yeah. Um, and and therefore we're incredibly excited with um, where, where it's ended up. And, and it kind of opens up the US market for you too. Yeah, US and America's yes. more generally, plus some other important parts of the world. Um, AES are, are very present across South Central and, and North America, and, and in some growing markets like like Asia. 
um, and we've been bombarded with interest from from their um, world of, of of customers and channel partners and teams all across the world, um, which is a great yeah. a great promise. Hey, just one final question before we um, leave off. Um, just to remind listeners about hey, what Five B stands for. Great question. Five B stands for five billion years. Five billion years is a number of years before the sun uh, goes supernova and consumes the earth. So we see it as as a testament both to the opportunity to use sunlight to to live out that total potential existence sustainably, um, and and also the challenge to make sure that humans do live out our total potential existence without extincting ourselves mm. in the meantime. Well, five billion years that should give you enough confidence to provide a warranty of a fuel source anyway. So, um, so <laughs> Chris, it's been fascinating. To, That's right, <laughs> Chris. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thanks, Charles. Really appreciate it. And that was Chris McGrath from 5B. Look, um, terrific story. We wish them luck. I mean, just amazing if um, if they do get involved in some of those big projects planned in the US and around the world. And, of course, there's that huge one up in the Northern Territory that um, Mike Cannon-Brooks and Andrew Forrest have gotten behind. Um, yet to see whether that'll actually happen or not. I guess there's a lot of things that need to um, line up for that. But, um, geez, um, fantastic story just goes to show. Fantastic story. And, and, you know, I've read with great interest all the stuff you've read about the challenges in large scale solar. And, um, you know, it, it, it's great to see, you know, at least in some parts of the value chain, um, uh, there's uh, investor interest and um, there's growth. And, um, you know, that's all anyone wants to do. Everyone wants to get on and do it and do great solar. So, you know, it's great to see someone having a having a bit of luck and, and working hard, no doubt. Hey, it's interesting you mentioned that, um, that some of the issues of big solar um, so this week, um, in the last week, actually, I've written sort of two quite strong stories. One about the impact on small contractors from some of the big solar developments, um, sort of a mixture of just sort of, you know, um, malpractice and incompetence and um, just, you know, some of all the just, you know, the regulatory and the grid issues and things like that. And followed it up with another story on Monday about the sort of, you know, the, the three biggest solar farms to be built in New South Wales are likely to be constrained, you know, some of them quite significantly because of these um, restrictions on the grid in southwest New South Wales. And look, it's an important story. Boy, did I cop an earful from all these people who rang me, um, you know, just afterwards it was published oh, really? this morning and I had my ear chewed off. Like I've never had my ear chewed off before, actually, but it was really, really interesting. It was people who had three or wow. four diff completely different perspectives on the story. And just someone said, yeah, I've gone too soft on the regulators and the institutions, Giles. Oh, mate, this sounds like it was dictated to you by one of the development companies or just a bunch of cowboys. And another one just sort of saying, oh. well, you don't understand the grid issues and blah, 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 blah. And it just goes to show the complexities and the competing It's a big issue, man. It's a, it's a big it, issue. Yeah. And there's so many competing parts. And sure, there's no doubt there's some people out there who don't know what they're doing. There's some people out there who are cowboys. There's some people, the overwhelming majority of people, yeah. just as we've been talking about in the rooftop industry, are people who want to do the right thing and who yeah. are really responsible and who produce a good product. But like any industry, like I mean, and, and the solar industry is like any industry, be it rooftop solar or large scale solar. It gets kind of, you know, there's there, there's some people out there who either don't know what they're doing or just cowboys or regulators struggling to catch up. And there's obviously been just a lack of planning, a lack of interest from federal policymakers. And it's kind of all thrown into yeah. the mix. And then you get sort of situations like this and everyone's blaming each other. And it's not surprising that that happens. And 
it's impossible for us to know what's going on. I remember I got one call today just to say, mate, you don't know what's going out there. I can tell you what's going out there. Well, why don't you? Well, I can't. <laughs> Because it's confidential. I'm going, well, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> I'd love to know. It's, in, it's, really, it's, a really, it's a really interesting topic, Giles. I actually had a, it prompted a couple of calls from guys I know as well and, and, you know, a couple of guys who are working on big solar stuff and these big farms, you know, and some of them are doing okay. There's no doubt about it. You know, there are some people out there who are kind of weaving their way through, be it the 5B guys or be it some of the guys who are doing, you know, the deployment and construction stuff or, or, or solar installers made good who've built, you know, I know guys who've built, you know, digital pile drivers who are doing, you know, remote controlled GPS pile driving as a speciality. So there's all sorts of niches in here. And, you know, the EPC companies are one part of a big ecosystem. So, you know, your article was focused on, you know, that part of it. But and and there are pros and cons all over the place, and you know challenges. My gosh, hyper competitive. Uh, your article highlighted how many players there are, um, which is a huge challenge for for just you know surviving in that industry. And we've already talked about some of the the pressure that that can bring on companies uh, like Today Solar, who who unfortunately went under recently. And you know, as you said, there's all manner of things going on. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic, Giles. But you know what else I wanted to um, bring up again uh, that you've talked about a couple of times is uh, AEMO's um, regulatory changes, which are bearing down on South Australia very, very quickly. I've chatted with a couple of people, particularly um, Eddie May, who's who's very um, involved in, in making sure that regulation and policy is fair and reasonable in South Australia. And AEMO... Bless them, um, you know, what they have, what what we have through Audrey's leadership now is, is you know, so wonderfully different and progressive and forward thinking and wonderful compared to what we've had in the past. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But uh, the regulatory change that is bearing down for a September 1st change in South Australia has the potential to cause some pretty nasty disruption in the industry if it isn't managed very carefully. The imposition of low voltage ride through requirements on inverters is technically due on September 1. Now, there's a lot of grey area around all of this, but that's the nub of it. The simple fact is, Giles, that the vast majority of inverters, from what I'm told, there's only one so far that has actually passed the test, and this comes into force in two weeks. Uh, technically, uh, the AEMO could enforce uh, a mandate that no more solar is put in unless that compliance can be met. That's oh, yeah. fairly substantial if it happens. That is very substantial. I had um, I wasn't aware that it was coming in so quickly. I knew that the um, looking at changing the inverter standards, but September first, twenty twenty. We are talking about twenty twenty, aren't we? Two weeks time. You must be. We certainly are. We certainly are. It has. It is really. I mean. I've been digging around on this issue and I am not the best informed person on this issue. What I have done is dug around. I've kept abreast of it on the fringes and I know our data science team and um, indeed some of our leadership team have also been involved in um, helping to understand the gravity of the problem. And South Australia is the you know canary in the coal mine for grid disturbance events. And after what happened previously down there, uh, the ability to ride through um, unprecedented events that, you know, perhaps we didn't foresee, everyone didn't foresee, it's going to require changes to firmware and potentially hardware. Now, you can't just go back and, you know, retrospectively install it on 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of systems and, you know, uh, five, 10,000 systems a month, whatever the number is that goes into South Australia every month. Uh, is it that many? It might be. It might be in the order of 5,000 a month, depending on what's going on. And industry, of course, has been going through COVID. Uh, the world is going through COVID. So it's a very challenging time to introduce something like this. So, you know, let's hope everyone keeps a cool head and uh, aims to progress the intelligence and the smartness of the grid. Everyone wants that, but let's do it in a good way. Absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting to see what's happening and um, we'll endeavour to find out more about um, what is going to be introduced and, and, and planned and, and what the intentions are in the meantime. But look, um, let's get back onto the um, onto other issues. Now, um, just on our sort of crap solar segment, um, you've got some, hmm. a new report talking about solar fires, four in a week. What's happening there? Well... well- Yes. Well, it's not a new report. It was from Fire and Rescue New South Wales. They published a um, a media release on the 5th of August. I picked it up on Facebook uh, through a couple of other people, and they were basically warning consumers to choose carefully, to use licensed contractors to do their homework, which is great advice from Fire and Rescue New South Wales. What prompted that was the fact that they'd had four fires in a week. Um, in New South Wales alone, and um, they've been reported in various media media outlets, which is not good. Um, they were focused on the fact that there'd been a 20% increase compared to last year, and there'd been an 80% increase in solar-related fires over the last five years. So a good reminder for consumers and, uh, you know, a little bit of a dig for industry to ensure that we're doing the right thing. But there's a couple of things that, sort of sit behind this story that are worth mentioning. Number one, as usual, as everyone knows, rooftop isolators, more than half of the the problem. Um, in fact, we don't even have the current statistics because Fire and Rescue New South Wales only published quite old statistics based on what I could find uh, digging around today. Uh, so they don't publish regular updates on their statistics. Um, so it's very hard to know what they're talking about. But if they're talking about an 80% increase over the last five years, what's interesting, Giles, is the number of installations has increased by 170% over the same period. So the number of fires is actually decreasing relative to the number of new systems that are going in, which is actually good news. Uh, This is backed up by other data that um, the Clean Energy Council periodically publishes uh, through the inspection and the Clean Energy Regulator uh, through the inspection routine. So we know solar is getting safer. And we know that the vast majority of the industry does the right thing and works really, really hard on these issues. So um, over the top of uh, what is a very valid and reasonable consumer warning to choose wisely and don't buy cheap crap, uh, choose a good installer, choose great equipment, and you will be in the safe majority. Um while Giles is trying to find the unmute button, I'm going to continue on this because I found uh, it. One of the other. <laughs> Good. Shall I just keep going? I think you should keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll mute myself again. Well, there's a lovely angle to this story, um, which I picked up on, which you may not know about, but. Um, There was a story about a fire up in Newcastle in the last uh, month or so uh, related to this issue. And uh, in the series of photos that was posted online, I happened to see uh, a fire extinguisher, a a nice chrome fire extinguisher uh, in the shot, and it had a label on it that said PV stop. And I went, hang on, 
hang on, what's PV stop? And I dug in and sure enough, it's uh, my old friend, Luke Williams, who has is a true solar industry veteran, been around for more than two decades in the industry, runs a terrific little business. But he years ago developed, helped develop this product and get it to the market, which is a fire retardant coating for solar panels, Giles. The idea is if there's a fire, and the solar, some of the solar panels are still working, they're going to be generating power if they're in the sun. So, you know, blocking the sun out is a great way to stop any arcs in particular, and DC arcs are a particular problem. So um, uh, Luke helped develop and launch this product, which literally spray on with a fire extinguisher. It coats the solar panels in a, in a kind of a polymer film, I think it is. Uh, it, comes, it comes out of liquid, sets fast, sticks to anything, is fire retardant, helps put the whole thing out, and important, critically blocks the light off so that if there is an arc fault it'll it'll stop it or slow it down completely amazing product used in this local fire fantastic fantastic and then what happens to the panels i suppose they're gone i mean this polymer's on there and can't be removed and that's no it. no no funnily no. enough i jumped on the website i didn't even this isn't a spruik from luke i just jumped on his website and had a look and he said no 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 up um you can actually peel it off it peels off like a plastic a thin plastic film so you know if you've got undamaged panels you're probably going to replace the whole thing anyway but if you happen to be able to save some you can peel this stuff off um and it'll just come off and, and doesn't cause any damage to the panels at all so it's a wonderful little product made in new south well developed and made here by in new south wales wonderful little product so, and so um, who's using an antidote? Who's, who's, an antidote to crap solar. An, anti, an antidote, indeed. Um, an antidote, indeed. I'm, I'm just one. I don't know whether I'm muted or unmuted at the moment. No, can you hear me? No, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh, talking? Fantastic. Oh God! Look, it's 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 a funny button there. It just sort of sometimes looks like it's on, and sometimes it looks like it's off. But anyway, so this yeah. this fire retardant though, who is it applied by? Is it applied by um, householders or fire rescuers or? Um, I think I think the guys have mostly gone after fire and rescue. Um, they've been trying at this yeah. for a few years, trying to get it t- taken up, you know. And there are clearly uh, this was wonderful to see it use in use. Um, so there are clearly some taking it up, which is wonderful to see. It's a great, you know, safety product that should be in the rescue service. So you know, um, great story. Good stuff. It is a great story. Thanks for picking that yeah. one up, oh, mate. Tim, it's probably getting to. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you hear. There's, there's, well, there's important um, EV and battery news too. There's some more local stuff that I picked oh, up that you uh, – did You did I put that in the note to you? Did you see that? Yeah, is my mute button still on or are you just sort of talking <laughs> over the top of me? No, you keep going. <laughs> no, I was just going to introduce the next, sec- sec- the next section, some EV and battery news that you sent through. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gone very untidy, Nigel. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's Monday. Um, God. It's, it's Tuesday, actually. Oh, you're right. It's Tuesday. Sorry. I'll <laughs> focus now. Giles, what, what are we going to do? We're going to wind it up with one more story about an interesting local product, another interesting local product. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, listeners, apologies for the diversion there, but um, it is always fun uh, podcasting with Giles. For those of you who may have come across the Ecolt battery over the last, um, what is it, maybe five or six years in Australia that um, since uh, they launched, it was a battery product developed in conjunction with CRO, CSIRO or at CSIRO, in fact, and they launched it out. They formed lots of partnerships with the big East Penn battery company out of the US. Um, and what they did was 
was they, in conjunction with with partners, developed a smart lead acid battery. So it was always a bit of a secret source, but what they did was they they uh, constructed a new type of lead acid battery that had um, wonderful promise um, and wonderful um, features and and um, in many ways. Uh, they launched it. They've been on around the traps and at all the shows and and I've I've sat on. Um, on panels with some of the some of the lead guys from there a wonderful bunch of guys really doing some great stuff they've gone a bit quiet though and i actually had uh, uh an installer call me last week who highlighted to me that one of the installations that he was um involved with helping a customer who had an off-grid solar system uh, he helped him uh, line him up with an Ecolt battery system. And recently he was contacted by Ecolt and uh, advised that they were going to refund uh, the vast majority of the not insubstantial money involved in him purchasing that battery bank originally, about through two or three years ago, if I recall correctly, maybe maybe four. Um, so they've offered him almost a full refund, not quite, uh, and said, we want to pull the battery out. Sorry, it's not suitable and we don't have a reasonable replacement, so we're just going to refund your money. Now, that made us wonder what's going on. So I also, also then looked up the battery test centre in the ACT, who've been running probably the best battery test in Australia, um, most comprehensive uh, at, at, at minimum tests in, a, in, in controlled conditions to, you know, look at different types of battery technologies. Um, the uh, Ecolt uh, battery was on that test rig. Um, it failed the first time. It was replaced. It failed a second time. It was um, going to be replaced, but then wasn't. So is now no longer in the test. We know there were two failures there. Um, when I did some more digging, Giles, intriguingly um, and sadly to say for another great Australian, you know, invention if you like or innovation is that there is uh, an active recall in New Zealand which was only launched last week um, I discovered this you know digging around and trying to see what I could find out about uh, these claims um, so there is an active recall for equal batteries in New Zealand there is not one in Australia that I'm aware of we do know from rumor um, fairly well substantiated rumor that there has been at least some noise around refunds and and pulling these batteries out. So I'm not sure what's going on. I hope they get through it because I love innovation and I love Aussie made products. Um, but there's something going on there, Giles, that everyone needs to be aware of. of. Um, love to hear from listeners or owners if they've had experiences around this. Yeah, well, it's a bit um, bit sad to hear, but um, yes, no, I remember seeing um, Ecolt around the shows, and um, yeah, something to um, keep a watch on as well. Well, Nigel, it's been an entertaining um, <laughs> episode of Solar Insiders, I if have to say. Else, and if, uh, apologies, if nothing else, I yes. Don't, I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can top last week's. If we got the best ever episode, we'd have to come up with something. You're naked, right? Is that how we're going to top last week? I don't think we're even going to go there, Nigel. I just don't think. Um, I think we just sort of cherish last week's episode and just cherish. sort of say that's one on the bag and um, cherish it. And so thanks once again to our sponsors, Sunwiz, Solar Analytics and Clinergy. And thanks to all our listeners. And we'll be back in a fortnight. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. 
With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. Run your business at maximum velocity with pro setup, training and assistance. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.